How you guys doing tonight? It's good to see all you guys. I'm excited that you guys are here. Um, just a quick background. I just got done doing four months of intense study <laughs> and torture. <laughs> and I am so glad to be done with reading that I just voluntarily submitted myself to. And so I'm, I'm happy to be up here preaching the word of God to you guys from Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's a blessing and an opportunity to be up here as a young dude who's, who's learning how to preach, who's learning how to minister, who's learning how to disciple and do all of that stuff. And I'm excited to, to just like learn stuff in school that I'm learning in seminary and then, you know, uh, be allowed to preach God's word to you guys. So it's, it's a blessing. Man, Pastor Joe has gone on sabbatical, so I'm going to be preaching this week and next week. And I got something really important that I want to share with you guys. Like I said, it's from Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be here for this week and next week. And this is really important because this chapter, it says something really important about our story. You see, here in Ephesians chapter 2, the man named Paul who wrote this, he pens down something really, really important. It's our story as Christians. Just as a little background, it was written by Paul, as I mentioned a missionary who wrote much of the New Testament. And he's writing this in the year about 62 years after Jesus has, has been on earth. And it's likely that this letter wasn't just sent to like one particular people group in Ephesus, hence the name, the letter to the church in Ephesus. But it's likely that this letter was written by Paul and circulated to a bunch of people, not just a little community there in Ephesus. And so, like I said, he's telling our story here as Christians, and he's telling us that we need to stop living according to the way that people think we should live, right? We need to stop living according to the way that we think we should live, and we need to live according to the grace that Jesus gives us. Here's something really important in the background that, that we need to understand this guy, Paul, he's not writing this from the comfort of his living room. He's not writing from his couch. He's not writing from the coffee shop, a letter to his friends. He's writing from prison. And it's really important for us to know that he's writing from prison, and he's not so much concerned about his physical health in a first century prison as he is concerned for yours and mine spiritual health. So we can trust automatically right off the bat that the words that are written here, the story that Paul is telling us about our lives as Christians, it is really extremely important. Amen? And so what he's going to tell us, if you don't hear anything else from me today, he's telling us that we need to live our lives according to the grace that God has given us. But if you're like me, you know that that is not always the case. Because here's, here's in the first four verses. In the first four verses, Paul is outlining our first way that we tend to live. And that first way that we tend to live is according to our sinful nature. We tend, me and you, we tend to live according to the desires of our own heart, to the desires of what we want, instead of living according to the grace that God gives us. And to live according to our sin nature, it just means to, to, to desire all of those other things, all of those created things, rather than the creator himself. 
how do I know this? I know I'm a young guy. <laughs> I know I've only been on this earth about 28 years. I'm going to be 29 in January. But I, I've been around enough um, to know that when I follow my sinful desires, it always ends in hurt and pain. And when I chase after the wrong things, when I live according to how I want my life to go and how I think, I, how I think it should go, it always ends in disappointment. And I, I can't give you a better illustration than this, than my story. So I just want to go out there and, and, and tell you guys a little bit about me and my story and some of the things that I have done and that I have gone through and the predicaments that I have put myself in due to me following my own sinful nature. As Paul is talking about here in these first verses, you know, I was, I was not always the greatest kid. My parents loved me to death, and I didn't always listen to them. Oftentimes, I did the opposite of what they told me, and it got me in a lot of trouble. I rebelled a lot in high school. I was not the best student, and a lot of times... That ended in suspensions, and it ended in detentions, and it ended in me fighting with my parents, and it spiraled, and it got out of control, and it got really bad. It only got worse as I got older, because you know when you're a kid, you know you can make decisions, and you can, sometimes you get away with the consequences because you're still young, and you know, you're, you're, you're cute, and you know, whatever, and... <laughs> You know, that as I got older, those things, they, they got more extreme. And they got worse, and they got worse, and they got worse. And it got really bad up until the point to where I was 19. I'd been kicked out of school once already. At the end of my first semester of college, I was really messed up. I was lost without a hope. I was at rock bottom. I had nobody next to my side. I was left there trying to, trying to medicate myself by staying high 24-7. I was in the, in the midst of my own clouded state of mind trying to sell enough drugs to keep myself above the water. I was driving home blackout drunk when, when I knew that that was the wrong choice and it was going to cause me pain later. You see, if you're like me sometimes, you make some decisions that aren't always the smartest but will give you happiness in a little moment. But you know is going to end bad in the long run, right? And I was the king of that. I said to myself, I'm going to follow what I want because I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in any of that stuff. But I'm going to follow what I want because I think I know what's best for my life. And you know what happened is over and over and over again, as I made decisions to distract myself, from the world around me, as I made decisions to just medicate myself and distract myself from everything that was going on in my life and in my heart, do you know what happened? I fell flat on my face every single time. By the time I was 19, halfway through my first semester of college, I had hit every single rock bottom that you could possibly hit. And the only thing that was keeping me afloat was the prayers of my mom. I love my mom to death. She's great. <laughs> and if you know anything about this passage right here, that is our story as Christians. And Paul has a way of describing this way of living. He describes it very vividly in a very graphic picture. And he says, 
primarily three things. That when we live according to our sin nature, it is like we are being, it is like we are dead, it is like we're living in slavery, and it's like we are condemned by God. Those are the three extreme things. That's the picture that Paul gives us when we live according to how we think we should live. When we hit that rock bottom, we are no better than dead. We are no better than a corpse. We are no better than condemned in front of God, and we are stuck in slavery. The first thing he describes it is we are dead when we live according to our our sin nature. We're blind to Jesus. We're deaf to his voice. We have no love for God. We have no fellowship with other Christians and healthy relationships that can build us up. You know, we have no desire for us to reach out for help that's actually going to help us apart from Jesus. Paul says we're no more responsive than a corpse on the table. We're no more responsive to God, to Jesus, and to love apart from him than a dead body. That's in nature. And it's passed down from us from generation to generation. Ever since Adam and Eve, right? What did Adam and Eve do? Adam and Eve, they took the apple from the tree. They ate it. They knew they shouldn't have. And automatically, sin entered the world. And from then, it's been passed down to generation to generation to generation to the point that my actions as a young kid were just a reflection of me desiring things that ended in pain rather than ending in glory. You see, God didn't design your life to just end in pain. God designed your life to end in glory with him. That's the first thing he describes us when we're living in our sin nature. is dead. The second thing, he says this is, we are enslaved. Now, if you're like me, some of you might not be, I'm not sure, but could take a guess. We are enslaved, and I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to run back to the same old things that cause me hurt and pain over and over and over again. In fact, if you're honest with yourself, I found myself over and over and over again just following the things that oppressed me, just following those things that would prevail against me. You see, there's two primary forces that Paul is talking about. One is the world around us. One is our circumstances and our situations that sometimes because there's sin in the world and because other people caused hurt and abuse and pain to us, those outside sources, they prevail against us sometimes, right? They cause us a lot of hurt and deep pain, and that's on one end, but on the other end, you got to be honest with yourself, is there's our own sin inside of us that's prevailing against us too, right? So there's those two forces, but then inside both of those, it's the devil working out his plan through both of those to keep you enslaved to the same old sins in the same old way of living over and over and over and over again, trying to keep you into captivity. We know those things are bad for us, but we do them anyway. We know, we know that that relationship isn't good for us, but we're still in it. We know that getting blackout drunk is not a good idea because it's going to hit us in the morning. It might cause an arrest. 
We know that we need to exit some toxic friendships. We know that sex before marriage. We know that looking at some pornography. We know that sexual addiction is a real thing. And yet we lean into those things anyway for comfort and to find a release and to find an immediate gratification from our circumstances. We are enslaved to sin is what Paul is describing here. And I know this from my own personal story, that a life in slavery is a life without Jesus, and a life without Jesus is no life at all. A life in slavery is no life at all. The third thing he says is this, is we are condemned before God. You see, God hates sin. God is holy. God condemns sin to death. And you know what? God can't be near sin Because it's completely contrary to everything that God is. God is good. God is love. God is all those things. God cannot be near sin because he is so holy. If he was near sin, he wouldn't be God. You see, the fact of the matter is, is that sin in our hearts that hasn't been cleaned equals God's wrath and punishment. Take example for the two criminals on the cross. Corbin, if you have that scripture up there, this is in Luke chapter 23. And it says this. One of these criminals was condemned and the other one found himself in eternity with Jesus forever. And it says this in Luke chapter 22, 23, I'm sorry, verse 32. It says, one of the criminals who were hanged there, was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal on the other cross, he answered, rebuking him. He said, Do you not even fear God, (laughs) since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. You see, God doesn't let sin into heaven. (laughs) You see, God doesn't let those who trust in themselves... (laughs) into heaven. God doesn't let those who just live according to their sin into heaven. God doesn't let those who just try and be good enough into heaven. No, the people who God lets into heaven are the ones who trust in him to forgive their sins and trust in him to give them a new life and bring them into heaven just like that criminal on the cross. I know I've messed up. I know I'm dead in my sin. I know I'm enslaved. I know I'm condemned by you. But Jesus, just say the word. I'll be healed. I'll be forgiven. And I will get to be with you forever. And I will get a new life. And that's exactly what happens to this criminal on the cross. You see, Paul wants us to know this in the first four verses. That failure to recognize that we are dead, enslaved, and condemned because of our trespasses and sins... results in a superficial faith. You're lying to yourself. 
when you're not honest about the depths of your depravity, when you're not honest to yourself about the depths of your need for Jesus, when you're not honest about what you're going through, about the chaos that's going in your life, and when there is sin in your life that is left unchecked, it creates all kinds of chaos, and you're lying to yourself. That's the depressing part of the message. <laughs> but that's the necessary truth that we got to swallow, amen? The good news is this, man. That's not the only way to live. Your sin, your own desires, your own way, that's not the only way to live. There is a better way, and there's the only way that we can live according to the grace of God. We can rely on Jesus to forgive our sins. We can rely on Jesus to save us. We can rely on him to give us a second chance and a new life. You see, where my story ended there when I was 19 through my first semester of college, that wasn't the end of my story, even though I hit rock bottom, even though I had nobody left, even though everybody was gone. Jesus gave me a new life because I'm standing here today. One of the most crazy things happened to me when I was a down and out young kid, younger it seems really young to me. <laughs> All right? Give me a break. Ten years ago, exactly. <laughs> you know, when something amazing happened, my, my brother, who knew Jesus very well, my brother who got saved at 16, he's ten years older than me, ironically, and uh, he knew Jesus very well, and he recently got a job as a worship leader, as you know, somebody who comes and lead mu leads music, and he's very good, and he's a lot better than I am, and uh, he, he's, I look up to him a lot, and my brother, he invited me on a ski trip, and I had no idea it was going to be a church-sponsored event, otherwise I wouldn't have gone. You know, anything God-related, anything, you know, church-related, I was like, nope, it's not for me, no thank you. I thought this ski trip was going to be cool. So you know what I did? I was like, yeah, you know, my brother Brad, like, I'll, I'll go. It'll be fun. I'll go and ski, and I'll go and enjoy myself. And so you know what I did is I packed up my stuff. I got my shoes. I got my clothes. I got everything I needed. I got my supply of stuff that I needed to stay high throughout the whole entire weekends. And I got ready. I got all high. And then I got in the car, and I found out it was a church-sponsored event. And I was like, dang it. Like, you got me. <laughs> but you know what happened on that ski trip? The most wonderful and amazing thing that could have ever happened in my entire life. <laughs> Jesus saved me. I was surrounded by maybe 10 other Christians. And, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but they, they just, like, loved me unconditionally. They just, like, loved me like I'd never been loved before. They showed me affection that, like, was so foreign to me that it just, like, it felt good and it felt peaceful and it felt calming. And I remember them, they, they would ask me questions that nobody else would ask me. Dylan, what do you want to do when you grow up? Do you got a job? What, what's your goals for five years? You know, do you, what, what's your family life 
like? Do you have any more brothers or sisters? Like, what's your, what's your favorite color? Who's your best friend? All this stuff. And they didn't care that I was high and smelled like weed in the car. They didn't care that I had stuff going on and chaos going on. They didn't care that I was distant as a person and that I didn't want to talk to them. What mattered is they had Jesus in their hearts and they were loving me unconditionally as Jesus loved them. And I'll never forget it. We sat down to worship that night, and that was the first time I sang a song to Jesus and meant it. I still remember it to this day. God, give us clean hearts. Give us clean hands. Let us not lift our souls to another. God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face, O God of Jacob. And that song hit home for me. And as soon as I was in the moment singing that song, I felt an immense peace and immense calming that I had never felt in my living in my sin nature ever. And so I was curious, you know, it wasn't like a 180, like, hey, okay, you're saved, you're good now, like, clean you off, here you go, lead worship. Like, no, that's not, that's not what it was. It was a process. I was curious. It wasn't like, okay, you know, I, I asked myself the question. I was like, God, can you be out there? God, can you, can you really be real? God, are, are you really calling my name out? Because Jesus was doing that. He was calling me out and pulling me out of my darkness. And so my brother's church was having an event for young adults the next Sunday. And I ended up going because I was curious. And the same exact thing happened. I went there and I ended up hooking up with my brother's friend named Ron, and I'll never forget this. He did the same exact thing. He loved me unconditionally. And what he did is he read me scripture, and he prayed for me, and he asked me questions about my life. And you know, the most amazing thing that happened was as he was asking me about my life, I was opening up. And I was confessing my sin, and I confessed my sin to Jesus, and I confessed my sin to my brother in Christ, and he prayed for me. And the more and more I confessed my sin, and the more I confessed my need for Jesus, the more I could just physically feel a weight just being lifted off of my shoulder as my brother in Christ prayed for me, as my brother in Christ fed me scripture. Let me tell you this, that Jesus gave me a new life and there's no way that I would be married today. There's no way that I would have a job today. There's no way that I would have a purpose today. There's no way that I would have anything that I have today unless Jesus saves me. And if you don't hear anything else from this message, I want you guys to know that Jesus saves you from deadness. He saves you from slavery. He saves you from condemnation. And not only that, he picks you up out of your dirtiness as you confess your sin. And he gives you a brand new life. He gives you a second chance. He saves you from all that pain and he sets you up on the rock. And church, I don't know about you, but that's the story that I want over and over and over and over again because Jesus has saved me, he saved you, he saved every single person that puts their trust in him. Hallelujah.
God wants a relationship with you. God wants to be your friend. God wants to have that kind of relationship with you where it's not just like one-sided, okay, you come to church, you leave, and you, know, you, you feel guilty the rest of the week. God wants to be in there every single moment of every single day in prayer with your brothers and sisters in the Scripture confessing your sin. Oh, you messed up. Oh, you do better next time, right? That's what Jesus is there for. He's there to save us, to give us a second chance. He wants a relationship with us. That's the narrative. That's what it means to live by grace. That's, that's the second one. Jesus saved us. And the word, because I just got out of Greek class, I have to share this with you guys. Jesus has saved us. And the word that Paul uses here for saved is, bear with me, sesosmenoi. And if you know anything about Greek verbs, that is a Greek verb. And it's a perfect participle. <laughs> Which means and indicates that we have been saved and that we remain saved forever. We have been saved and we remain saved forever. So you know that deadness, you know that slavery, you know that condemnation. Jesus makes us alive. He raises us up with him and he, he makes us sit with him in heaven. It's just like the Apostles' Creed, right? What does it say? The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father you see, when we admit how much we need him and ask for forgiveness for our sins, he gives us a new life, brings those dead areas in our lives back to life, breaks those chains of slavery, sets us up in a relationship with him on earth and in heaven forever. So why did God do it? Simply because of this. Because he's merciful. Because he's loving because he's gracious, and because he's kind. You see, we were so dead and so helpless to save ourselves that only mercy could reach our helplessness. You see, we were under God's wrath, and only love could triumph over that wrath. You see, we deserve nothing but the hand of judgment and condemnation because of our living according to our sin nature, and only his grace could rescue us from our chaos why then did God act? He acted out of his sheer mercy, love, grace, and kindness. It's like this. It's like winning the lottery. It's like winning the jackpot to the lottery over and over and over again every single day. And I don't know about you, but my grandparents are now 85, and they've been playing the lottery every single day, <laughs> I think, for 65 to 70 years now. And they have not once won the jackpot to the lottery but because God is good, because God is merciful, because he is loving, because he's gracious, because he is kind, he gives us that winning jackpot lottery ticket every single day, over and over and over again, every time that we ask for it for the rest of your life. And he saves us every single day. Let me tell you this, that is a huge encouragement because if you're like me, you might have a hard time admitting some of your mistakes. You might have a hard time confessing some of your sins. You might have a hard time being open and honest with your brother and sister so that they can pray for you. But know this, 
That we can be courageous in admitting our sins and our sin nature and asking for forgiveness because God is richly abundant in his mercy, in his love, in his graciousness, and in his kindness. And church, there is no better feeling than to win that winning lottery ticket every single day. Church, this is our story. Christians are the ones who recognize their total need for Jesus every single day and then surrender their lives to him over and over again, even when they give in to that sin nature. The last two verses say this, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's God's gift. It's not up there, Corbin, don't worry. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. First ends this by saying, we are saved by grace. And I said it once, but I'll say it again. God's grace is free and undeserved mercy towards us. And faith is the humble trust with which we receive it for ourselves. You see, grace isn't a merit badge that we earn in the Boy Scouts. <laughs> grace, it's not something that we earn by doing good deeds. You see, grace isn't something that's given to us so that we can strut around like peacocks showing off our, our feathers. No, grace is given to us to show off how great God is and how much he loves us and how much he can turn somebody else's life around. You see, we must never think of salvation as like this kind of transaction. Where, you know, God gives us his grace and then we give him, you know, our, our faith. You know, God is not baking, baking cupcakes here. It's not, a, it's not a give and take like he gives a little and we give a little and then we're saved. It's just all God, all the time. Grace, here it is. Faith, I'm growing you. I know you don't see it now, but ask for forgiveness. I'll give it to you. And he gives it to us over and over and over again. And that's, and that's how it works. And why did he save us? By grace through faith, for good works. Listen to this. As I, you know, I don't want you to get my words twisted on this. Good works are indispensable to salvation, but not as its grounds and not as its means. But as its consequence and as its evidence of your salvation. St. Augustine says this, For grace is given not because we have done good works, but in order that we may be able to do them. You see, our good works are meant to be a consequence and evidence of how much Jesus loves us. And we're going to jump in to serving by grace next week. But church, know this. Paul has written down the story of our lives. A man from prison who's been saved by the grace of God. I've been saved by the grace of God. He wants us to stop, live, stop living according to our sin. And he wants us to live according to the grace that he gives us over and over and over and over again. Doesn't mean that we just keep on sinning. It means that we have an opportunity at a new life to love and to serve him. Guys, I'm praying, listen, if there's anything on anybody's hearts, this is, you know, I, I pray over this message, and I, I, pray that, I pray that you would confess that. 
Jesus wants you to confess your sin. He wants a relationship with you. And, you know, and, and if there's some of those words that made you feel something in your spirit, that made you feel something in your heart, that maybe made you feel a little uncomfortable, we want to pray with that over you. We want to pray with you. We want, to, we want to feed you scripture. We want to walk through life with you. We want to do all of those things with you. But it starts in our hearts in recognizing that we need Jesus. These guys are going to play the last song. If anybody needs prayer, I know I need prayer daily. If anybody needs prayer, if anybody wants to confess a situation or circumstance that they've got going on or, or they just need a general prayer for their lives. Sing the song. I'll be in the back. Chris will be in the back. Joe will be in. He'll, he'll be up here singing. and um, He won't be in the back. But uh, let's pray, guys. God, thank you for everything you give us. God, I pray that we would live this as our story, as Christians. I pray that we would recognize over and over and over again that we are dead in our sin, that we are enslaved to the same choices, that we are condemned without you, and that we need to be rescued. And that, Jesus, we need you. And I pray that we would admit that in our souls now. And I pray that we would admit that on Monday. And I pray that we would admit that Monday afternoon. And I pray that we would admit that our whole entire Christian life so that you can come in and you can heal us. Lord, I need healing. Lord, there's people in here that need healing. Lord, there's people in Gloucester City that need healing, Father. So I pray that your spirit would just break through. God, we love you so much. Thank you for everything that you give us. Thank you for your son. In your name we pray.